This is Kyle Worland. I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up, y'all? Kyle, so good to see you today. Hey, Kyle. Uh, hey, Jen. You. Hey, hey, hey. Well, here we are, and uh, we're going to jump right into it today because we have a lot of ground to cover, particularly on this episode, because we are moving all the way from the reunion of Jacob and Esau, which we covered in our last episode with Dr. Ray Ortland, which was just a treat to have him on. And we're going to get all the way to the story, the introduction, really, of Joseph, one of Jacob's beloved sons, maybe his most beloved son. And uh, to do that, we've got to cover some ground. And so if you remember, we've been exploring Genesis 12 through 50 this season on knowing faith. And today we find ourselves just on the other side of what was really the climax of Jacob and Esau's story, which is their reunion. And the last time that we we spoke about this, we covered a brother's hug and that maybe the way that Jacob and Esau reunite is not what you would imagine after their story. But Uh, coming after that is a very interesting story about some of the ongoing family drama that's happening in Jacob's house. And so let's just dive in here because in Genesis 34, we find out or introduced to Dinah, who is the daughter of Leah, one of Jacob's wives. And the Dinah is not treated with respect or dignity in this story. It is not a good situation for Dinah. And uh, Jen, just give us a brief, we're not going to read all of Genesis 34, but give us a brief snapshot. What happens to Dinah here? Well, so if you remember, you know, she was actually mentioned during the baby wars where the where, where Rachel and Leah were going back and forth and they were naming all the sons that are born and you're perking up your ears going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're counting because you know there's going to be 12, right? Because we know the end of the story. There are going to be 12 sons out of the family. And of course, in that that portion, you don't get to all 12. We're going to see that 12th child, uh, 12th son born actually in the section that we're in now. But in the middle of all of those names of boys, there was only one name of a girl. And it's this one, it's Dinah. And so the fact that she was mentioned earlier on, just as we saw like in other places, like mention of Rebecca before she's talked about, um, that's a little heads up in the, in the story to go, oh, this is going to be significant. And now we find out why it is significant. So we don't actually know whether there weren't additional daughters that were born. It actually seems pretty likely that there would have been, but, but she's the only one mentioned because she's the one who is going to be a particular significance to the story. And she's mentioned with those 12 very significant brothers. And here we see that after this big wrestling match with the, with the angel, uh, with, the, uh, with God, I'm looking at JT because I'm nervous he's going to jump in. Uh, <laughs> um, and we had, him, we had him renamed as Israel. And I think, you know, we touched on this in the, in the, um, in the last episode with, um, with Ray Ortland he begins to be called Israel in the text. And so one of the first indicators at the beginning of chapter 34 that things are about to go astray is it says in verse one, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And so all of a sudden he's going by his old name again in, in the text. And basically they're settled at Shechem. Um, and there's a lot of question about whether... Um, whether it was even right for Jacob to go to Shechem. Like, should he have gone back to where God had told him to go? And so um, you've got Hamar, the the Hivite, who's kind of the the big deal. And the town is named after his son Shechem. So it's like red flag. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Daddy's little little boy here. Suburban entitlement at its best, right? So here they are in the suburb of Shechem with baby Shechem (laughs) at his dad's, uh, at his dad is at his beck and call. And, um, and so he, he sees Dinah and, and it seems that the text implies that she was actually unsupervised, like that there should have been care given to prevent her from going into putting herself in this dangerous situation. In verse three, it says his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And we can read that and think, oh, is this a love story? Like, what are we, what are we in? But no, absolutely not. He seized her and lay with her and humiliated her is what comes right before that. So don't, don't read it and go, oh, you know, this is, a, this is maybe a redeemable story. Um, even though he starts to say nice things to her after the fact, this is definitely, it's, it's a rape. 
Yeah, and 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 the father and brothers are understandably furious. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like Shechem goes and talks to his dad after this happened. It's like, get me this girl for my wife. Yeah. I don't know if he's covering his tracks here or if he's like now he's like now he's bound to her or he feels like that attraction has been magnified. I read it as almost like I can almost see this like he's like I I have to. I have done something here. I probably crossed a line mm-hmm. and now I need to try to repair this breach here. Mm-hmm. Is that what this is? Or it could just be that he's just overwhelmed by this passion and he just feels entitled to her because she's in the land. Like she's in his town, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, it's seedy. It's not good. And the father and the brothers are indignant. Yeah, as they should be. And I, you know, and, and just remember for all the women listening, well, for men and women, but I think this is a really hard story for women, you know, because it's like, wait, or, you know, you can tell from the response of the brothers, this is not okay with them. It is certainly not okay with the Lord that, sh- that, that she's been treated this way. But then the way that the repercussions play out is also not okay with the Lord. So you, we have to be reading this with some, some care. Yeah, absolutely. So J- Jacob and the brothers are furious and we're good. Well, look at, yeah, look at verse five. It says, now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Um, and it's just interesting because he, we start to see already what is going to be his pattern. It's a pattern of holding his peace, of not acting when he has something that he needs to act on. Yeah. yeah, holding his peace, that's an interesting translation. My, I'm reading the CSB and it's just he remains silent. And obviously mm-hmm. the, the narrator is trying to tell us this is not something he should be silent about. His daughter mm-hmm. is raped and he should be speaking up. And I do think that the narrator is trying to give us a hint that a lot of this is happening. Consequence might be too strong of a word, but this would not be happening had they inherited the land that God has given to Abraham, Isaac, and mm-hmm. Jacob. Mm-hmm. So the very fact that they're in Shechem and that they did not mm-hmm. continue on to Bethel, I think mm-hmm. is, is a key. This is what happens outside of God's land. And this is this is a way that, that, that God's enemies treat each other and then thereby God's people. And so you see, and also in verse two, Jen, you, you use this language already once, but he saw, he took, and he raped. That's the way mm-hmm. my times work, that we should be hearing real similar language to other Genesis patterns of they saw it was good and they took the fruit mm-hmm. and the tree in the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the garden and other themes of uh, it looked good to the eyes. So they took, mm-hmm. and this is a similar language here of, of just following one's passions and desires, yep. regardless of what God's word says. And then you're right here. He just remains entirely silent until the brothers return. Yeah. You can see how that verse could have read instead of, so Jacob held his peace. It could have read, so Jacob cried out to the Lord or so Jacob approached Hamar for restitution immediately, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's not that there's this waiting. And then you can tell that the brother's immediate response is more reflective of how Jacob's um, anger should have translated into a righteous response. Right. Yeah. And now there is anger that does translate Mm -hmm. into a response. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be the response of his sons who are furious that they say that he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter for such a thing must not be done. And Hamor, Shechem's father, begins to try to appeal to them, right? Like basically like, hey, my son wants your sister, Jacob's daughter, please give her to us, make marriages with us. And the appeal starts in relation to Shechem and Dinah, but it quickly opens up more broadly to basically let's intermarry. Like, why don't Mm -hmm. you, you boys and your sons and your son's sons should marry my daughters and my son's daughters and daughter's daughters and so on and so forth. And so Shechem's like, listen, uh, uh, let me find favor in your eyes. Whatever you say to me, I'll give you. Ask me for a great bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. So Shechem's like, I'll do anything. Hamor's like, listen, guys, this could be mutually beneficial mm-hmm. for all of us. So there's a lot of wheeling and dealing here. We've seen this <laughs> happen a couple of times in Genesis already. And it says the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because she uh, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. And so basically they tell him to summarize this, hey, circumcise yourselves. If you mm-hmm. guys get circumcised like we are, then yeah, sure. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and we'll become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and we'll be gone. So basically he, pay, he puts in front of the Hivites, uh, hey, you guys circumcise yourself like the Israelites do. And we're good to go. We can be one people and marry and share a family together. 
and Hamor and Hamor's son, they're like, that sounds good to us, right? I mean, yeah. like, so there's a couple of really interesting things going on here. First of all, basically, Haymore comes, you know, daddy comes to clean up the mess with money and power, basically. Mm-hmm. And he 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 presents an untenable suggestion. There's no way they can agree to what he said. It goes completely contrary to what God has commanded of them. They can't intermarry. Um, and then Shechem comes along with his smooth speech and his generous bride price, although he's clearly already demonstrated that his intent toward Dinah is to consume her, not to, not to treat her with love and and respect. Um, and then interestingly, when it says the sons of Jacob answered, notice it doesn't say the sons of Israel. It says the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. And it's, you know, we, we've mentioned earlier that Jacob's name becomes synonymous with deception, like mm-hmm. that I am the deceiver is basically what he names himself when he says, I am Jacob. So we have the sons of deception answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deception. So Jacob is he's the deceiver who reaps the whirlwind in this story. His own sons are now using deceit. And then verse 17 says, but if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take, and what does it say? It doesn't say our sister. It says, we will take our daughter and we will be gone. So you see that the brothers have now functionally tried to step into the role that Jacob should have been in, caring and protecting, uh, caring for and protecting Dinah. They, they place themselves as the de facto parents because of his absentee parenting in this moment. You know what? Okay. Can I just ask a question here? Uh, maybe, maybe I'm, this could be foolish, but are, we, are you making too big of a deal out of them referring to him as Jacob? I don't, I mean, I didn't make it up. I pulled it from commentaries and it may sound like I just get on here and make garbage up, but um, <laughs> I, in fact, it probably does. No, no, that's not, I'm, not yeah. suggest, I'm not suggesting that you're over there just riffing, but I'm curious. And so not you personally, but when I hear that, I go, but aren't there other times when pe- these names get used interchangeably? Yeah, I mean, I think it is being used interchangeably, but I also think it's being used interchangeably in a strategic way. And we can pay attention to it. We'll see when he starts to get called Israel again. That's good. That's good. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so uh, it does not, they're like essentially Hamor and Shechem are like, okay, we'll do it. Yeah, great. Great, let's go for it. Then they go tell all the other bros at the city gate, right? Because remember, gates are where these guys are hanging out. This is like where they're all kind of vibing out. They're in their mm-hmm. lawn chairs. And, you know, they're talking about who won the most recent game of uh, collegiate football in the ancient Near East. Uh, you know, the Jebusites had beaten the Hittites. Uh, and it was a big Kyle's upset. jokes. Yep. And it says that they, they so they all circumcise themselves. Okay. So they get circumcised. Now, JT, I think what the listeners need from you here is a very in-depth explanation on circumcision. <laughs> so if you could, man, if you could just give us like a really on the ground uh, picture of circumcision, could you just give us the deets on this real quick? Well, they're just wanting to make sure that Shechem and those men have some skin in the game. Oh. oh I can't believe you didn't see that one coming. Oh. Okay. Full circle. <laughs> uh, that's what funny, call- funny, interesting. We never had a mug that had that put on it's it. Man, true. Let's it's keep true. it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Limits, think so. boundaries. I, I would like to hear your guys' thoughts, though, on circumcision in particular, because this is supposed to be God's covenantal sign and seal for who his people are. You think right. about Genesis chapter 12 through 17. This is what marks God's people. And here, God's people are leveraging the sign mm-hmm. that is supposed to specifically relate to their relationship relationship with God and his faithfulness mm-hmm. to them. And they're now using it to leverage power over other people. And what, what we see clearly from God's promise to Abraham is that, and, or Abram at the time, is that this is a promise that is supposed to go to the nations. Mm-hmm. That there is certainly uh, the opportunity for the nations to come to faith through to, Yah- to Yahweh, the mm-hmm. Lord. And one of their responses would be to then get circumcised. But here they're creating a relationship with the nations whom God does love uh, and God mm-hmm. does want to be in a relationship with. And they're using this sign to, to destroy them. I mean, I'm a Baptist. This would be like m- me uh, creating a relationship with somebody and killing them by dunking them in water and drowning them. Like this mm-hmm. is, isn't this a special kind of disgusting given that they're using God's sign and seal to kill people? Yeah, it's a sign of life, and they use it as a cover for murder. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not going to be the last time that this circumcision conversation uh, is influenced by the power and preferences of the circumcised group. I mean, this is in some ways not identical, but there is uh, confusion around the Judaizers in Galatia that Paul's having to address because they are essentially 
putting themselves through the seal and symbol of circumcision into a greater position than the Gentile convert. So it's not the same thing, but this does seem to be a recurring motif in the Bible, that circumcision, which is a covenant seal and symbol, at least in the Old Testament, um, is not being wielded appropriately Mm -hmm. by the people who hold it. So it says on the third day, when they were sore, now JT, why would they have been sore at this moment? They had skin (laughs) game. Okay, thank stop, you. Stop, just stop. No, I <laughs> keep asking you. Like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> um, Have a little fruit of the spirit, some self-control, dude. <laughs> just trying to answer the question. <laughs> it says two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. And they... They kill everybody here, yep. um, and it's not good. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain. They plundered the city because they defiled their sister. They took whatever uh, – they took their flocks, their herds, donkeys, whatever was in the city and the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. My numbers are few. They gathered themselves against me and attacked me. I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. And they were like, but hey, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? So I actually feel like we see two unrighteous responses here. Oh. Jacob's, yeah. right? Because Jacob's response is not righteous. Jacob isn't like, you have uh, uh, you have uh, defiled the character of Yahweh, mm-hmm. who we represent, our mm-hmm. God. He says, basically, like, you've made things hard for me in the land, and I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can fight the Canaanites and the parasites. It's purely like a, this is a very selfish perspective on what has transpired. They have killed a whole city of people. And Jacob's like, guys, this could be harder on me. Right. So this is not, first of all, this is not justice. This is revenge. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a punishment that does not fit the crime. And it, we have to pay attention to a couple of things here. It says, it says that it was on the third day that they, that they kill everyone. And, and it says that they took Dinah out of Shechem's house, which means the whole time the story has been playing out, she is still in his house. So this whole thing is super, super bad, right? Like she has been uh, basically awaiting a deliverance this whole time. And Simeon and Levi are mentioned specifically, and it's going to be important to pay attention to that because if you remember the birth order, Reuben is the firstborn and then Simeon and then Levi. And we need to understand um, how their names are going to come up in these chapters so that we can understand the, the, the Joseph cycle that's going to come along after this so that we can understand Judah and his significance in the family. So, um, it's not justice, it's revenge. And then Jacob, sort of in classic vintage Jacob form, responds with a massive case of the I me, my minds as soon as he um, realizes that things are bad. You know, it's like, this is how this affects me, guys. Were you thinking about me? So you have a sin of omission from Jacob, and Mm -hmm. then you have a sin of commission from the brothers. uh, And neither of them is accomplishing um, what's in the best interest of Dinah or in the best interest of the children uh, of Jacob as a whole. And so uh, this uh, this ends here basically with Jacob saying, hey, this is not going to go well for us because of what you've done. They're going, hey, we sh- we had to do something. We couldn't just sit on our hands. And that's, that's where the story of the, the defiling of Dinah ends. But from there, it says, God tells Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, right? Can we get an mm-hmm. amen from those following the story? Mm-hmm. It's like, Get out of where you have been. You are not supposed to be in Shechem. Mm -hmm. Um, So he goes to Bethel. Uh, So Jacob said to his household, uh, put away the foreign gods that that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the the tree that was near Shechem and they... They move on. Now, this is a really interesting thing. He hides them under this tree mm-hmm. in Shechem. I can't see, like, it doesn't say that he buried them under this tree in Shechem, but maybe that's what's happening. But I was wrestling with this. Is Jacob going, like, we need to lay all this stuff down and, like, move on? 
Or is he is he saying like, no, I'll remember exactly where these are for a time? <laughs> is this a dog hiding a bone, or is Jacob putting to is Jacob putting this to death? Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it does say buried. I think in other translations, actually, and I think that the way we the the sort of the clue that we can find the te- contextual clue to find out whether it's one or the other thing is that we're we're hitting a series of funerals in the next chapters. And so this is the first funeral that we see, and it is a burial of the idols. But it's a little bit of a record scratch moment when out of the blue in verse two, he says, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Because it's kind of like, wait, what? Because like we knew that Rachel had some in her saddlebag, but now we find out apparently there were quite a number of saddlebags that were filled with these household gods. And Jacob is making the connection that their idolatry is a factor in the way that they are not thriving at this current time. Um, So he's gone back to the place that he is supposed to go to. um, And he's trying to turn to right um, what he should, but there's this great irony of God's people worshiping idols in the promised land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he holds a funeral and he holds a funeral funeral under a tree, a terebinth tree, which would have been a place of idol worship. So he basically buries them in the place where they would have been worshiped. So it says they journeyed from there and a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So God gives them like in, in grace, in, yeah. grace, and and in and in prayer circle talk, a hedge of protection, right? Oh like gosh, for the hedge of protection. <laughs> I always tell people if they you know when they pray for a hedge of protection, I'm like, could we think of something a little bit stronger than a hedge? You know, <laughs> well, it's like a big thorny hedge, Kyle. Well, isn't, it also, yeah. isn't it also kind of like a mini Exodus story too? No. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're leaving the land of exile in order to Mm -hmm. enter the promised land and God destroys or terrifies your enemies behind you, allowing you safe passage. And And topples the foreign gods. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good. Jacob comes to Bethel in the land of Canaan. He builds an altar because God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. It says that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died. She was buried there under an oak. And it says then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And what do we hear again? We hear basically a rearticulation of the same promise we have heard again and again and again. He gets a promise that God is going to be with him, uh, his presence. He gets a promise that he's going to be a great people. He gets a promise that God's going to give him this place that he's in, this land, and all of that so that they would exercise God's purposes, that they would be fruitful and multiply. They would rule and cultivate and subdue. So we hear all of this again, and it says that he, when God had went up from him in the place where he'd spoken, Jacob pours out a drink offering on it, and Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So this is a worship moment, a divine encounter between Jacob and God in a place where they have encountered each other before. And even after all that Jacob has done, God is still telling him, I'm going to go with you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be my people. I'm giving you this place and all of that so that you reflect me in the world. But should it alarm us that we have already seen him renamed and now we're seeing this happen again? Hmm. Like, what are we supposed to take from that? From just understanding, like, did he lose his salvation? Like, what is this? How do we make that fit the narrative? Most, I, 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 I mean, I could be dead wrong, but most of the commentators I read said this is just a reiteration of the name that he's already been given. Mm -hmm. That in previous instances where he's being called Jacob again, it's not that his name has changed. It's just that they're calling him Jacob again. And here is a remembrance or a reiteration. Uh, I'll actually see if I can find exactly who said that. But you guys pontificate for a minute too. Well, we haven't heard God call Jacob something other than Israel, Mm -hmm. have we? Mm, no. And in fact, you know what? That's a good point because in chapter 34, God isn't even in chapter 34, like significantly right. completely drops out of the narrative. For sure. And so then we see him enter back into the narrative in Genesis 35 and there's this renaming thing. So maybe a, a good way to, I don't know if this is like a, uh, this could be reading too much into it because maybe it is just that God was calling Jacob Israel and Israel was who he was going to bring. He was going to bring Israel through Jacob and subsequently Jacob is Israel or the father or figurehead or head uh, head of house or whatever of Israel. But maybe what's happening here is that uh, Jacob's behavior in the life of the world had not yet conformed to the name and purpose mm-hmm. that God had given him. Mm-hmm. And this is a rearticulation of like, 
You are not supposed to be the Jacob who sat passively by with Dinah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're supposed to be Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and be a company of nations and a ruler and all of these other things, this great figurehead like Abraham and Isaac, mm-hmm. right? This is your lineage. Maybe it is just a rearticulation, a reminder to Jacob of you're not living into your covenant blessings. Yeah. And I think, I think that is, I, it's, it's like J- JT was saying, it's all of these reiterations we've seen to Abraham of the covenant and to Isaac. It's like th- these constant reminders of, Hey, don't forget who you are and where you're going and why you're here. Uh, even though you're going to do dumb things like send your wife into, uh, you know, Pharaoh's harem or uh, into Abimelech's harem or, you know, all of these kooky things that we see uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doing that s- would seem to disqualify them or dis you know, or, or, or make them not the one on whom God, has set his favor and God keeps reminding them, nope, it's still you. And this is still the plan. I think it's a pretty sweet picture of how he deals with us actually. If we're looking at the uh, verse where it talks about, gosh, where was it? Verse five, when they set out a terror from God came over them and the cities around them and they did Mm -hmm. not pursue Jacob's sons. If we see that maybe as a mini Exodus story, Mm -hmm. God's people in exile coming back into the promised land, God stops and delivers them from their enemies. And now they're entering into this promised land. This is where he should have been. We should have not had this story in Shechem. We should Mm -hmm. not, they should not have been there worshiping false idols. And if this is a mini exodus, you could could see this as... Uh, Sinai? I was going to say more like a birth narrative again. You have God's people yeah. being being identified. And it's not clear. There's no water here. I'm not trying to make something out of it that's not there. Mm-hmm. But you have, you have it being reiterated. Now that you're in the land that I've promised you, you're becoming the people and the person that I've called you to be. You are not Jacob, you're Israel. I wonder if that there has something to do with it there. Because it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's, here's how uh, Tremper Longman says it. He says, the narrator again informs us about Jacob's name change. The change was actually instituted in Genesis 32, and we're likely to understand this as a reiteration of that moment rather than a second time. However, perhaps it's repeated here because now Jacob has fully moved into the land that God has given him. Mm-hmm. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's probably some kind of connection to, he's in Bethel. This is the land that God has given to Abraham, Isaac, mm-hmm. and Israel. And that's, mm-hmm. that's who's going to inherit the land with his sons. That's good. Yep. So moving from here, it says they journeyed from Bethel and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Uh, So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is a pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And so uh, from here, we hear about uh, the the sons of Jacob. Uh, We hear about the, the sons of Leah by way of Jacob and the sons of Zilpah by way of Jacob, who was Leah's servant. We hear about the sons of Rachel, the sons of Bilhah. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of them here. <laughs> I, I want to make, make one comment real quickly about verse 22 also. Yeah, it's kind of, that's a big one. A big one, but it, you'd think it would have this huge narrative explanation. It doesn't. Uh, it says, while Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine. Again, it's just one verse, uh, but we're going to see later in, in Genesis 49, the curses that are going to be placed upon Reuben and the Reubenites because of this. Curse might be too strong of a word, but the, the, their, their future inheritance. So one of the things we need to take away from this, and Jen, you already mentioned this, is Simeon and Levi, the second and third born, have committed an egregious mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. Now Reuben, the firstborn, has committed an egregious sin. And so it's mm-hmm. almost like the, some of these narratives in terms of who's the firstborn, who's going to be the one who inherits and takes mm-hmm. the future of God's people, you'd think, well, it's going to be Reuben. Mm-hmm. Well, it can't be. He's disqualified himself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be Simeon. No, nope, it can't be him. He's disqualified mm-hmm. himself. Well, it's going to be Levi. Well, no, nope, it can't be him. He's disqualified himself. Mm-hmm. So the first three of the of the 12 sons of Israel have now committed egregious sins, and we're starting to see their, their, their natures and their characters, which is going to play a heavy part into Judah and Joseph's narrative. Well, and this is all a big setup so that we will understand why Joseph is going to be sold into slavery too. Right. Because if you look at what just happened here, so Rachel dies in labor giving birth to Benjamin, and we know he's going to figure largely into the story. But the whole problem, if you think back to, to Rachel and Leah, was this issue of favoritism. Mm-hmm. Dinah is Leah's daughter. 
and it is the sons of Leah who are rising up to defend her. Simeon and uh, Levi. Mm-hmm, because as is typical of Jacob, he's thinking, he tends to be thinking only of Rachel and her offspring. We saw it even when he goes to meet Esau. He puts Leah and her children out in front in the place of greater danger, and he has Rachel and, um, and Joseph closer. And so the favoritism theme continues to play out. And when Reuben goes and sleeps with Bilhah, if you remember, Bilhah is Rachel's servant. And so he's he's doing a couple of things that are disrespectful. First, he's he's attacking the the favorite side of the family by doing this. But um, upon Jacob's death, Bilhah would have become his concubine. So he's essentially communicating, "I wish my father were dead." In, in this action. So it's really disrespectful. Uh, and you'll see that it plays out in the prophecy that's later spoken over him, as JT said. But I think we, sh- we also need to pay attention to this. I mean, Rachel's, you know, here's our third funeral. You know, we had a burial of the idols. We had a burial of Rebecca's um, um, uh, nurse. And now we have a burial of Rachel. And Rachel, in many ways, is um, another of Jacob's idols who he has to lay to rest because he has shown favoritism to her at every turn, but he's not going to. He's just going to continue to show favoritism to her two children as the story moves forward. And at the end of chapter 35, we hear that we're finding the death of the patriarch. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're hearing the death of not just Ra- uh, uh, Rachel, but the death of uh, of Isaac. And mm-hmm. so here, uh, here's another funeral. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac breathed his last and he died. He was gathered to his people old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So this is a moment where you have have Jacob and Esau and Isaac together mm-hmm. in Hebron. Uh, they're burying Isaac where Abraham had been buried. Mm-hmm. So it's like everything is kind of coalescing. All of these major figures we've been following are kind of all at the same place at the same time, living or dead. And then we get this table of descent. And if Jacob was fruitful, Esau was also fruitful. Yeah, and that's I think that's the point of the length of this. And I know Kyle's about to give us a dramatic reading of all of the names. Not a chance. <laughs> but um, I mean, it just goes on and on. And you're like, oh my goodness, why is this in there? I do think just the force of it, like the full just um, volume of names is supposed to hit us like, he has a zillion offspring. Like God has done, has done what he has said he would do for him. Um, and also you look then at Jacob's family and you're like, how are you doing guys? You guys doing okay over there? Because it does seem like um, the, the, the righteous line is not fruitful and multiplicative to the extent that the other lines are. Yeah, well, this one is fruitful. And I will say I'm not going to go through all of this uh, as much as the audience might want me to, but I am going to stop to tell you a story about a sermon that I heard on this passage of Scripture. And I'm not going to tell you who preached it or when I heard it or what environment it was in, but the person did use the phrase, one of the children that's listed here uh, uh, is Oholi, uh, Oholibama. Oholibama. And this, and, uh, this guy said this is his joke, like his big punchline for the whole sermon was a whole Alabama must have been from Alabama. And he said it maybe 15 times. And uh, so if you're ever looking for, if you need an Alabama saint, maybe a whole Alabama could be your Alabama saint. So for our Alabama audience, that one is for you. Or maybe we've just lost you with that joke. Just to be clear, uh-huh. Kyle, you've hated on other states. Are you hating on Alabama right now or are you showing them love? Here's the deal. Any affection that I would have outside of Texas is going to be is going to pale in such great comparison to the love that I have for Texas <laughs> itself. That it's like when Jesus says, you know, uh, he who does not hate their mother and father may not follow me. He's not saying you should hate your mother and father. It's that your love for your parents should pale in comparison with the love that you have for the Lord. That's how I feel about Texas and every other place that exists, including Arvada, Colorado, JT. It's Arvada. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say your mom's Arvada, but I know your mom. Your mom is so nice and I don't want to say that. Oh gosh, I wish. I wish you would. Your mom is Marcy and I love her so much. She's the best. She misses you, Jen. Mm -hmm. Pretty fantastic. So, okay, we get to we get to Joseph. I'm gonna skip this, but chapter 36 is a who's who. It is a Esau's yearbook 
of all of Esau's <laughs> descendants. And in chapter 37, we go back to Jacob and we hear Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph. Okay, boom. That's that's not coincidental. These are the generations of Jacob. That's that kind of phrase, Toledot phrase. Okay. We get here, we're getting it again. This is a structural thing. It's indicating to us a change in the direction of the narrative. These are the generations of is a phrase that Genesis is using as a structural device. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the last one. I think you're right. And who do we hear? What we we hear these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. Mm-hmm. And that is telling you something right out of the gate. For the rest of the book of Genesis, we're going to be following this guy, Joseph. Yeah. And and his story occupies a ton of time. Uh, Bible literacy pop quiz. Who Uh-oh. gets more attention in the book of Genesis? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Joseph? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And nobody ever really... Talks about that. Kyle just yeah. made little Kyle just made little guns for those of you who are wondering what happens when you can't when, see them. Let me tell you pow, something. How guns in the air? I, I have publicly, I have publicly received one of Jen's Bible literacy pop quizzes, and there's nothing more embarrassing than being in front of a crowd that you're leading and Jen giving you one of these, and you looking like a complete fool. Yeah, when well, you get beauty, it right, you get to celebrate. The, the yeah. beauty of being the one giving the quiz is you only ask questions you yourself could answer. You skip all the yeah. ones that you would miss. So yeah, yeah, that's 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 part of your genius. Right. So Joseph, uh, we're introduced to Joseph here, and it's it's. I just want to say this, and and this is a question that I have. Uh, the story of Joseph occupies so much of the attention of Genesis, but his story doesn't resonate through the rest of the Bible story. Like his name doesn't resonate through the rest of the Bible story in the way that like Abraham or maybe even Isaac does, but certainly. Abraham, but he gets a lot more attention in Genesis. Like, does Joseph come up a lot more in the Bible and I'm just missing it? Because I don't feel like he's a mega character for the rest of the storyline. JT, do you want to answer Kyle's question? No, I want you to. I I want you to. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's, he's my favorite type of Christ in all of scripture. Yep. Yep. I mean, and it just take the, I love how the story just takes its time and it leaves no opportunity to connect behind. And so- well, I, I don't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that it feels like his name- Should come up more. It, mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't come up as much mm-hmm. for the rest of it. I mean, certainly Abraham and Moses, those are outsized figures, mm-hmm. but like we don't hear a lot of references, at least that I can remember, well, to Joseph. And I have a genuine question. I don't know if you guys know the answer to this. And <clears throat> since I know how much prep we all put in before we do these episodes, this will be off the top of our heads. But um, do you think there's significance to the fact that um, there are two key figures in the Gospels related to the life of Jesus who are named Joseph? Yes. So his father, Joseph, and then Joseph of Arimathea? Yes. Talk about well, that. Th- well, certainly in a Jewish tradition, naming your that's children. Yeah, but that's what I'm child. saying. But why yeah. those characters specifically do you think are linked um, in, in, in our mind, are, are meant to be linked in our minds to, to this Joseph, or are they? I'm having a, a Bible brain, can't get there. What was, do we know Joseph's dad's name? Uh, Jesus's dad, Joseph? Uh, let me look. <clears throat> Talk amongst yourselves. It it, well, the reason I'm asking, it doesn't come immediately, immediately to mind, but that would, that would, I think, be significant. If we knew he was, but, but while you guys are looking for that, if we're talking about topology specifically as it relates to Joseph, I mean, so what's incredible is I know we haven't really gotten to this in the text yet. And I know we'll get in in the rest of this episode and next, but like he's having these dreams of power and ruling and he's going to be the one who rules over his brothers and his pathway of getting there is not the way that you would think of him getting there. Right. He's, He's, sorry, Jen looks like she's ready. I have to tell you, I've never noticed this before. Do you know what Joseph's father's name is? Is it Jacob? It's Jacob. That's what I thought. I think that's that's, that's the significance. That, that's that's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. How crazy. have I missed that? Yeah. Well, well you're that welcome. And, and I was hey, just Bible thinking, quiz. Who's Joseph's dad's dad? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, and and I don't I don't think it occurred to me either until this moment that we're talking about it, where the the uh, Joseph. Joseph, Jesus's father, is there at the moment of his birth. Joseph, heir of Mathia, is there at, at the his burial, at his, yeah. at, mm-hmm. at his death and his burial. Mm-hmm. You basically have a man Both named, ends. 
man named Joseph ushering him into the world and a man named Joseph ushering him out of the land of the living in his that gives me goosebumps on the podcast yeah yeah i'm this is blowing my mind and his path to rulership is much like joseph's path to rulership Mm -hmm. right like they they take a a really similar um course he's kyle kyle like is still doing like this (laughs) you can't see him right now but he's like uh unable (laughs) he's not doing pow pow guns anymore his jaw is hanging down this is gonna be super fun seriously i think this is my favorite story in all of the bible and that's saying a lot yeah kyle how much are we getting into it into it in this story like should we start are we talking about well i'm basically shook at that point (laughs) (laughs) i love how our audience is like wow they've really got a plan here like Uh nobody knows where they're stopping the episode no 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 this is (laughs) We're basically, we're just getting to the cell of Joseph into slavery. Today. Oh, okay. So, so, I mean, we're, we're almost there. But okay. So when you think about, like, let's look at Genesis as a whole. Uh, the book of Genesis begins with the murder of a brother and it ends with a brother who is almost murdered, but rather than uh, coming back with vengeance to kill his brothers, he extends freedom to them. The very brother they mm-hmm. sold into slavery there. Well, slow down, slow down. I know we're getting to the end, but, okay. but, but so, but so one of my favorite uh, kind of, Christology passages is, is Philippians chapter two. Mm-hmm. And this is much like Joseph's story. The one who is promised to reign and rule rather than grasping for it, he relinquishes it and has this path of descent. So you have mm-hmm. uh, Joseph sold into slavery, enduring unbelievable hardship and rising to rulership in a way that you would never expect in a way that he does rule over his father and mother and his brothers. And he's the kind of ruler who's eventually going to extend grace and forgiveness to them, which to your point, Jen, is this Christology typology that mm-hmm. we find here in Joseph's story. There's even, I know I know we're getting into this later, there's a lot to think about. I think even with, he has some clothing uh, patterns. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to talk yeah, about it. We'll wait, we'll wait. But there's a lot. Wow. Oh, so Kyle, Kyle's still thinking about this Joseph stuff. No, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm kind of tearing up. Like the Bible is so wonderful. It's beautiful. This is I mean, why, like, this is when people are like, mm, I don't know if it's a thing. And I'm like, the more you're in it, the more you find how it's not just that it's connected. It is seamlessly and, and in so many layers um, connected that I'm like, this is, this can't be a coincidence, you know? And there's a couple of things incredible. to take from that first. I mean, the human authors are literary mm-hmm. geniuses. Moses mm-hmm. is, a, is doing beautiful literary artwork, uh, mm-hmm. if that's the right word here, to, to tie these stories together, to give us and frame us uh, a, pers- a perspective of what God is doing in redemptive history. But also, this is clearly inspired biblical text by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not just tying things together through one human author, Moses, in the five books of the Pentateuch, but he's using Matthew and Luke, mm-hmm. Mark and John and Paul to tie things together in a way that perhaps they're always aware of, but also maybe sometimes perhaps in ways that they weren't aware of because there's a beauty of what they were writing that perhaps they weren't conscious of. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Golly. Um, okay. We hear that Joseph, we're, 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 let's, let's finish out this story. We hear that Joseph has a special place in Jacob's eyes. Mm-hmm. Why is that? He gets a beautiful robe. We'll talk about the robe, but why does Joseph have privilege? If the, if the audience has forgotten, our audience He's has forgotten. Still- 
why is Joseph getting a privileged position in his father's eyes? He's why? the son that was given to him in his old age. And he's kind mm-hmm. of like, wow, I'm still able to have kids. I, I love this. son. <laughs> I think it's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe he might just to be a bit older, a bit softer, a bit ten- more tender. And not to say that he, he isn't still doing favoritism. He is, but he has a special place for Joseph in his heart. He's, yeah, the, and, he's the son of Rachel, whom, whom, whom Jacob loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And he gets a special coat, a robe of many colors. Mm-hmm. I don't think or that's was right. it? Yeah. Or was it? Well, okay. So tell us about that. I think that's a, a mistranslation. It's probably more better translated as a, a long cloak, like a cloak mm-hmm. with sleeves on it, which means uh, this is probably a cheap way to say it, but he's not going to be the kind of person who rolls up his sleeves in order to get work done. And we're going to see in just a minute, it's his brothers out in the field doing that kind of work. He is the one who, even in his father's eyes, is going to, to have a position of prominence, authority, king, you might say kingship, rulership for sure, or mm-hmm. leadership. And that, mm-hmm. this robe symbolizes that. Mm-hmm. So it. he's the youngest of all of them, and he's the he's got the robe of the overseer, mm-hmm. which actually, when you think of it as an overseer uh, role that he's being pictured in, uh, it makes more sense how he is going to interact with his brothers. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces that gets lost when you think it's a many, you just think it's a colorful coat of value. Right. Because what Jacob has essentially given him in all likelihood is a role of oversight over his brothers. And so he's actually going to see them in a supervisory role. And I don't know if you have siblings. Well, I do know that Kyle does and JT does not, Thanks which for accounts the reminder, for so much. No, we do. You guys are my brother and sister. Uh, oh, yeah. So keep sweet. making fun of me, sis. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, if you've ever seen sibling rivalry play out, it is particularly sharp when favoritism is shown not just to one sibling over the others, but to someone who is the least expected to receive it. So you would think there would at least be some acknowledgement of birth order in in the handing out of responsibility. But it appears that in Jacob's case, he's just all in on Joseph. Yeah. And and Joseph's brothers are super cool with that because they're righteous, holy guys, right? Mm -hmm. Nope. It says when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. So every, nobody was, there was not peace in the house mm-hmm. of, uh, of, jo- of Jacob. So Joseph had some dreams and in the dreams, we're not going to get into the details of these dreams. We don't have time for it, but dreams are going to play a big role in the story of Joseph. We see that from the outset and these dreams, basically Joseph takes the content of these dreams and then says to his brothers, the picture you get here is that I'm going to rule and reign over you guys. I dreamed it up and they're probably connecting the dots. They're going, hmm, our father is treating him like the ruler. He, he's putting him in clothes mm-hmm. like the ruler. Joseph now seems to be providentially, quote unquote, having some dreams mm-hmm. uh, about, the, about ruling over us. Mm-hmm. And so things from here take a turn. Because Jacob's love is mirrored for Joseph is mirrored by his brother's loathing for Joseph. And that loathing takes them to a very deep pit in a very dark place. And uh, what ends up happening is they sell, they see him as a threat. Mm -hmm. Uh, They see him as a threat. Keep in mind, like, he is a legitimate threat. He like, like not in terms of where he is. I think we lose this sometimes. Like, He's a legitimate threat because he could he could take a disproportionate amount of the inheritance. Mm-hmm. He, he could take over a supervisory position. Like these are things that for us may feel inconsequential, but in the ancient Near East, like it, you know, and maybe not. Families still quibble and argue about this stuff in divisive households, mm-hmm. but Joseph is being slotted to basically get first chair for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And that will have a very significant economic cost to his brothers. Well, and just notice that this is the typical pattern that favoritism plays out in. The brothers are not lashing out at the source of the problem. They're lashing out at the example of the problem. It is Jacob's fault that there's favoritism in the family, but rather than address their anger and frustration to Jacob, which as we've seen in earlier scenes, they're probably right to believe would not even be an effective strategy. They're instead going to lash out at the object of his affection uh, and and so with and I always kind of want to defend Joseph a little bit here because I read sometimes in commentaries where people are like and Joseph was a bonehead because he went and told these dreams to his brothers and he should have just kept his trap shut but he's showing that he's prideful and blah 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 and I don't I actually don't think you see that I think you might see 
immaturity at the very least, but I also think it's, I think it's a naive, hey guys, guess what? I had this dream, you know, and to, in his brother's mind, he's playing the God card on them, you know, but I think in his mind, he's discovering that the Lord is speaking to him in this way, as we're going to see, it's going to happen, you know, throughout the story. So I actually do like to try to preserve um, in the story of Joseph, the idea that he's, he, he's not set up um, he's not presented to us actually the way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been. In some ways, he's almost like Melchizedek um, because he he kind of, in my view, gets through this whole cycle of his story um, without any tarnish attached to him. And, he, and, and I think that's maybe why we see him sort of hovering over the the birth and death uh, of Jesus in, in, in the names of those um, two men that we talked about earlier. I could be wrong, but that's where I'm going to land on it. All right, that's cool. Well, so Joseph, uh, this again does not end well for him. It says that his brothers went to pasture their flocks and Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well. We're even getting to see that kind of managerial position play mm-hmm. out. Joseph's mm-hmm. not out there on the front lines. His dad, He's back with his dad and his dad is sending him out saying, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. He goes out here. They find He finds his brothers. When they see him coming from afar, it says they conspired against him to kill him. So that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. But Reuben hears it. Reuben who, this is also the Reuben, right? Mm -hmm. Who has already committed a grave sin against his father's house. He heard it. He rescued him out of their hands. Let us not take his life. Reuben said to him, shed no blood, throw him out into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. So Joseph came to his brothers. They They strip him of his robe. They took him. They threw him into a pit. The pit was empty in it. And then they look up, they see a caravan of Ishmaelites. Huh. Funny mm-hmm. enough, right? Mm-hmm. Some Ishmaelites happen to be in the area coming from Gilead. They're headed down to Egypt. And Judah says, what profit is it for us Let's if we kill him? We killed and seal his blood. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our, not our hand be upon him for he's our brother, our own flesh. So that's what they end up doing. They sell him. And Joseph ends up in a caravan, basically, uh, Midianite caravan, headed to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sell him by the end of this story to Potiphar, mm-hmm. who's an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Mm-hmm. So Joseph has gone from beloved son, apple of the eye of his father, to a pit at the hands of his brothers, mm-hmm. to a Midianite caravan. And now he is basically in exile, enslaved in Egypt. Yeah. And of course, the original audience hears the force of Egypt. Like you're starting to hear names recycled in the in the story of Genesis. So you've got Ishmael, you know, Ishmaelites. And they're like, oh, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We know those guys. Right. Uh, and then, oh, Egypt. Oh, that's a bad sign. That's always a bad sign. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we know with our New Testament ears listening, we were beginning to see some of the typologies already emerge. He's stripped you know, he's rejected, but he comes to his own brothers and his brothers receive well, him his not. Father, his father sends him to his, his own His father brothers. sends him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not just hearing Ishmaelites, we're hearing Midianites. And so this is a really, I think, an important reminder again of that original audience. Ishmaelites, yeah, yeah, that's Ishmael. We're getting the name drop of Abraham's other son. Mm-hmm. But Midianites is a name of the people who are, go- the Midianites are still in the land. Mm-hmm. They are where Israel is headed. Mm-hmm. into Canaan on the other side of Egypt uh, and the Exodus event. So they're at Sinai. They're going to go be next door neighbors to the Midianites mm-hmm. and the Ishmaelites. So you're getting this interchange here where it's like basically like pre-Exodus life Egypt uh, or pre or Jacob era construction, people groups, Ishmaelites. And then it's like, nope, we're also the Midianites. It's, a, yeah. I think, a fascinating kind of moment to see all, you're right, Jen, all these names converging in the same place. Mm-hmm. And Reuben flips out. Like when he realizes that that he's not in the pit anymore, he flips out because Reuben was the one who didn't want to kill him. And what you're seeing there is Reuben is scrabbling to get himself back into his father's good graces. He cannot afford to lose any more credibility with his dad. And as the oldest son, the safety of Joseph would have been his primary responsibility. This is fascinating. And the story doesn't stop being interesting. Mm-hmm. It keeps being interesting for the rest of the book of Genesis. And so we hope that you'll continue to follow along with us. In the next episode, we're going to explore the nuances of the story of Judah and Tamar. And we'll continue to follow along with the story of Joseph in the episodes ahead and find out just how rich the parallels between Joseph's story 
uh, and Christ story are. You can join the conversation by finding us on social media. We're at Knowing Faith Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Knowing Faith Podcast. If you're looking for more behind the scenes stuff and some exclusive things that we have over there, we hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace. Peace.